Check this out. Welcome to a modern music industry. My name is Josiah Garrett, and today I sat down with Sarah McDonald. She is the leader of a 22-piece contemporary big band called the New York City Chill Harmonic. She also works as a booking agent and an artist manager for classical musicians who live in New York City. We sat down today to talk about songwriting for big band, New York City's music scene, touring internationally, and techniques for band leadership. Let's get into it. That's it. I'm booking agent, artist manager. That's my day job. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Wow. So you're an artist manager for yourself. I'm assuming you self-manage. And then you I also do. work with a small agency in New York City or, or someone larger? It is a really small agency. It's a boutique agency. I was at a bigger agency a year ago and left because it was just like so intense and corporate. We had like a thousand people on our roster. Yeah, what's um, the name now, of the agency? I work at Colbert Artists now. So Colbert. it's a classical, yeah, classical music agency. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with, with Philharmonics and you're dealing with, you know, orchestras and... Yeah, some of that, like lots of soloists. Um, I'm trying to start a like special projects division at the moment. So I brought in our first large ensemble artist, so like jazz crossover. It's actually this jazz techno big band project out of Germany that I've known for many years. So I just signed them in the fall and I'm working on a couple tours for them. Uh, but it's fun, but it's like conductors, soloists, vocalists, violin players, cellists, pianists, stuff like that. Chamber music ensembles, like, cool. you know, string quartets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, what is your day job? Uh, I'm an audio engineer. Oh, cool. Yeah. Makes sense. And I, uh, and I sling beer sometimes. And you sling beer, yeah. don't we all? Yeah, <laughs> sling beer and uh, run sound. Um, I work at a 500 capacity venue here in Athens. Uh, mostly we oh. specialize in private events, so it's, it's not very glamorous, but it pays the bills. Yep, that's good. That's all it needs to do. Job is a job <laughs> is a job, yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, that's pretty cool. So you work as an artist manager, Colbert artist, and then what about as a booking agent? Same agency? It's, yeah, so it's all in-house. So it's management okay. and artists, you know, servicing and booking, um, which is pretty cool. I mean, I, obviously, like, we do just, we specialize in North American booking, but we also do booking elsewhere sometimes, but a lot of the artists have management, you know, on different continents, as you should, I guess, just because yeah. I don't think, like, one person can cover an entire planet that's kind of ridiculous. Absolutely. <laughs> No, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, you would have a you would have a European agent or an agent yeah. per country. You know, that just seems like to be the norm. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you like a regional level where you're touring all the time, yeah. that would be best for you. Yeah. You're actually not the first booking agent I've interviewed. I didn't know that you were a booking agent. That's cool. Oh no, nobody does. It's fine. Nobody does. <laughs> Probably, I have to like kind of keep it that way a little bit, just because everyone jumps on it pretty quickly. But anyway, yeah. you don't have to do that part. No, no, it's fine. I, I won't include your uh, your booking agent email. Nobody will be able to. <laughs> that's that's you can find me online with some Googling, but please don't look. <laughs> Copy that. Yeah, so I guess uh, your your day-to-day -day is just buried in your email. Yes, I do exist in my inbox, um, but I really like it. And also, it's good for me because I it makes me better at you know, booking my own project, obviously. So... You know, it's like I do email all the time and people, I mean, I think like that's just how I get things done. It's how I book my own project and yep. my project is very large. So it takes a lot of, I mean, convincing <laughs> sometimes. So, yep. um, but it's good. It's taught me a lot just about like managing myself and taking care of myself. Absolutely. Interacting with the promoters, being prepared, yeah, just, advancing shows, yeah. signing contracts, the whole, the whole nine yards. 
For sure. Just knowing how to communicate with people. Like that's invaluable. That's all of it. If you can just like communicate yourself well and like communicate with other people well, yep. you can pretty much do anything. That's such mm -hmm. great advice. Mm -hmm. And then communicate your music. And very, then communicate your music. The final puzzle. Yeah. The final <laughs> the puzzle. Part. Yeah. <laughs> the final frontier. For sure. All right, cool. Well, I've got this um, interview kind of broken down into four sections. Uh, songwriting. I wanted to ask a little bit about your experiences in New York City, uh, touring, and then also band leadership. Yeah. Uh, because you run this band that I guess gets larger and larger. <laughs> I, it like gets bigger and then it gets smaller and whatever. Bigger and smaller, and bigger and smaller. Depending on who's right, available. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of. So yeah. I've got some interesting questions about that, but since we're talking about touring, I'd love to um, keep going on that front. Performed sure. at uh, Montreal Jazz Festival, South by Southwest, a ton of other stuff. You've done some significant international touring. So when you go internationally, do you? what core members of the band do you bring with you? Or is it just you? It's just me okay. for now. I mean, I'm hoping... Um, like there's some bigger stuff coming up in like this coming season. So hopefully I'll be able to bring them with me. But for the most part, yes, I just like get contracted out. And then there are big, I mean, there are like big bands everywhere, you know? And also it's like at this point, I feel like I've done it so many times that I can just kind of ask people and like put a band together myself. And it's not very daunting. Like there are great musicians everywhere that just kind of want to do new things. So yeah. um, put a group together, especially if it's like a festival or something, they'll usually do it for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's pretty easy. And then I just go and do it. I remember, I think, like, in the video with Adam, a lot of people were like, how does she make her money? Like, her parents must pay for everything and all this. And it's like, I don't think I was really clear about, like, my financial situation. It's like, if I play in New York and I play, like, a club show, like, I'm lucky. You know, it's like, I'm happy to break even. Cool. But it's like, if I'm touring and stuff and playing big festivals, You're like, I'm losing money every step of the way. Kind of, but it's like, well, if I'm going and playing a festival that's giving me a nice guarantee, it's like, I am making money. It's like if I'm just playing yeah. like a you know a club show to like about four or five hundred people, it's like, you know, I gotta pay the band well and stuff like that, and it's just mostly for fun and like to do something in New York. It's like okay, like I'm not really gonna make like a huge profit here, you yeah. know. But if I go, especially if I'm like touring internationally, it's just like me going out there, and it's like they're paying for everything. It's like obviously I'm making money, so yeah. Just to just to clarify, that's true. Like I, yeah, so. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Mm -hmm. So when you're going out, you know, I come from a culture of the more like deadbeat everybody getting a van we're doing three weeks on the road um yeah. you know living out of a yeti cooler and six pairs of underwear that's very much like the the life of touring that i grew up in and kind of got started in um but i guess it's probably different for you i mean you're going out maybe playing one-offs big shows single shows like you have one or two shows in an international route that pay for all of the travel expenses to get out there. Are you out there for weeks at a time or just usually one-off shows like a festival? Uh, it depends. Usually if I'm going somewhere internationally, like I've done like I've done like a full month in places before. I had a residency in China last year. I was there for a month. Um, I was, which was, you know, madness. And then I was in, I've been in Europe for like months, like a month at a time. Yeah. And usually that'll be like a bunch of dates. Um, and then I was just in Argentina in November, and that was like three or four dates, I don't remember. Um, so and so that, which was super cool, but it's like, you know, there's an anchor date and it was like the festival like helped me put a bunch of stuff together. And it's like, then I put my own show together there because I have like a few friends from there. So they helped out with finding musicians. Um, it really just depends. Yeah. yeah. But it is a lot, 
like if I'm just touring, like this summer we have like a like a week long Midwest tour. You know, it's like we have like the bigger festival dates, and then it's like if I throw in some club stuff in there, it's like that's really all on me to just like get a band together. Um, so it's like there's like a lot of different parts to it. It's like I'm not just going out on the road with like three people. I'm going out on the road with like my rhythm section. And it's like, and then every single show is a different band. So I'm meeting these people for the first time, rehearsing them that morning, and then playing that night. So it's yeah. like I'm, it's like it's like a hundred things in each show. So it just like is a little bit more work. How often do you but, run the gauntlet? Um, like in what regard, I and, guess. And like, so like no rehearsal. Oh, um, if we have like shows back to, like over the summer, we had two shows that were pretty close to each other, but we also hadn't played in the city in like a year because I had been doing a bunch of touring. So then it was, we needed to rehearse before the first one. And then we had a couple shows and didn't rehearse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to get better about that. I think for New York shows, just because like we'll only do like two or three a year now and there'll be like bigger shows, mm-hmm. it's like, we'll be rehearsed. I'm not going to not rehearse people. And they're also, the shows are not going to be back to back. So it's like, I'm not going to really see those horn players and string players for like, you know, four or five months at a stretch. Um, and I trust them. Like, I'm sure they could all just get up there and sight read. Like, that wouldn't be a problem. And not, they wouldn't really be sight reading. Like, they know the music. But uh, it's better to rehearse. And then the rhythm section, like, we'll rehearse, you know, before we go out. We'll rehearse by ourselves. And then, obviously, we're rehearsing each band everywhere we go. That's awesome. So, that is a lot of, that's a lot of music is what that is. Just like, it's constantly. It's a lot. Yes. <laughs> That's just a lot, but it's nice. It makes it like you get so good at like rehearsing a band and like band leading just because yes. you have to like communicate the same ideas to different people every single day. It's a lot. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've definitely got some questions. I need some advice from you about band leadership in particular. Um, but to, to finish up about touring, when you go internationally, do you leverage the contacts that you have working as an agent, like to work with international agents? Um, My, are you doing it all yeah. yourself? I do it. Well, I mean, I've been doing this, like I was freelance booking for a long time before I started working at um, at a company. And I have just managed to like, you know, the big band world, like the progressive big band world is pretty small. So like you kind of find out about different people pretty easily pretty and quickly. Easily. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of contacts and now, no, I mean, I work with classical, you know, um, presenters and things like that. So I'm not really, I don't use any of those, con- there's like no crossover. So I don't really get okay. to like use it to my advantage, which is which is fine. And also like I just couldn't. I don't think that would be appropriate. Yeah. Um, okay. I see. Yeah. So it's mostly just, but I just do my research and like I just go out of my way to find contacts. You know, like just plug everybody you know, like exhaust your resources. Just try. To, I always just I call. I will literally just call a performing arts center and be like, tell me about your season. Like, what do you want? Like, I just called Greenland the other day because I just want to know yeah. what they're performing in Greenland. And now I might go to Greenland. So we'll see. <laughs> That's that's interesting. I <laughs> um, because the culture is 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 so much different in 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 um, kind of in the dirty bar scene, you know. For Where, sure. It's like you wouldn't just call a promoter on the phone. Well, one because they wouldn't really they answer. Wouldn't. They don't yes. really, you know, they don't have that like line of communication. That's just that's not how it is. But I guess yeah, if you're going to tour to Greenland, you could just call the Performing Arts Center. Yeah, I was just like. Fuck it, whatever. I'm just gonna call them. Like, what? Like, what is it gonna hurt? And then they were super nice and like really excited that they're getting this call from New York, and it was like really lovely to talk to them. <laughs> yeah, they were probably stoked. They're like, awesome, they were like, New oh York, God. great. Yeah, I think the woman said to me, she's like, you want to come to Greenland? I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were lovely, so hopefully it'll work out in the future. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, with bar stuff, for sure. It's like, and that's where I got my start was like working with like smaller venues and yep. things like that. So I'm, you know, familiar with that too. And like, I know how to email those people, but it's like their number one priority is selling tickets, which I totally get. And it's like, when we play in New York, that those are the kinds of venues that we're playing. I'm not playing like the Blue Note. Yep. I'm not jazzy enough. I'm not going to be playing like Dizzy's, you know, at Lincoln Center. It's never going to happen. Um, yeah. So it's like, and then in that case, but I also know how to like sell a show and work really hard to promote it. So I'm not super worried about that in new york anymore um but i get it yeah it's like i know what their bottom line is and i still know how i think i still know how to communicate you know with those types of venues so um that answers your question that totally does 100 yeah no that was cool that was really interesting um so everything, and just to wrap this up, everything that you do internationally, you operate independently for. So you, you book your own flights, coordinate performances in each city, performers in each city. Performers, yeah. Usually, it depends. If it's a festival day, usually they're flying me out, and sometimes they'll put the band together. But now, I used to, I used to rely on that a lot more in the past, but now because I feel a lot more confident with like the amount of contacts that I have internationally, mm-hmm. I kind of like to do it and also it's just because like i now have friends in those places so it's like i trust them and the people that they want to work with like i'll usually hit them up and be like who do you think would be right for this yeah or i'll just post a facebook status mm-hmm. it's amazing how much that work i just contracted an entire festival in a city that i've never been to just because i posted a status and people were super helpful yeah it's great absolutely and, and that yeah. makes sense you trust people you work with one great saxophonist in the past and then he recommends <laughs> you know a, a six other people and you say great bring them on Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Six less software. people I gotta find. Totally. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. so cool. Um so um the um Okay, so I saw that you won the Herb Alpert Young Jazz Composer Award. And yes. that's amazing. And I listened to the song that won the award, Sandcastles, and it was amazing. So old. There was another one that won also a couple of years later, which is much better in my oh. opinion. <laughs> same <laughs> version okay. of this of the uh, same song, different version or different song no it's a different song and it's on youtube but we haven't recorded it yet uh i see what's it called easy comes the ghost easy comes the ghost i think i listened to that one too okay yeah so that one i won that award in 2014 2018 i think i'll never win it again i'm not jazzy enough anymore there's like no way you started you you started crossing the the genre divide too 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 far a few inches to the left um well my question is um First of all, how did you come to have a relationship with the All Jazz Orchestra in Munich? And follow-up question, why go to Germany to record an album? Um, it's cheaper. No, uh, so, <laughs> no, well, long time ago, oh my God, when I graduated from college, I, this is such an involved story, I was dating a German dude. And um, so that first one was like, I just wanted to have a recording session and his friends had a studio. So it was all like super DIY, we did it in a day. And that was great. And that. I just wrote those charts specifically for that because I just wanted to try writing big band stuff. And I really thought I was going to like go to grad school. I did get into grad school, but they just didn't give me enough money. So I wound up not going. Um, and that was fun. And then after that, I, you know, I was in a lot of rock projects. I was, I had my own rock band for a really long time. And then I just started writing for bigger. So I was like, what is the biggest group I think I could write for? Like how many instruments could I comfortably arrange for? And that was the first iteration of the New York Chill Harmonic. And then after that, um, 
like randomly we played this show at this place that no longer exists called the firehouse space or like moved locations and this festival director happened to come this was like in 2015 and then he invited me so this i'm giving you like the whole germany trajectory as to like why why i have so many contacts there um so that first one was just like for fun with friends and it turned out really well won an award super nice didn't think i was going to keep up the big band thing and then eventually like wrote stuff later which is the album that's online now um with like the eggplant song and everything so i did that and then that festival director heard me invited me to morris festival which is like an avant-garde jazz festival near cologne and i did that and was on rk and so then the other big band that i wound up working with for a really long time who i just signed to colbert saw me on rk and thought that i was like really famous which i was not and still i'm not and um they invited me to do like a month-long tour and that was great so i did that in like 2016 with them and then we just wound up working together a lot over the years i just played with them last summer and hopefully i'll go again in like october and do stuff with them but now i'm booking them through colbert because they awesome. are very yeah well okay so that, that seems like a very nice uh trajectory of, of things kind of lining up into place i wasn't sure if maybe you lived in germany and had met some people or you know, not because of that. I did live, my dad was in the Navy, so I did live in Europe for a long time. So I already had like some connections to Germany, sort of, but not in that professional capacity. Not in the professional capacity. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a lot. Sorry. That was, <laughs> no, no, that was a good story. Um, so now you're, man, you must just have relationships with musicians all over the world at this point. Yeah, kind of. Like, hopefully they're all good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're all great. I mean, professional relationships, you you know, you pay them at the end and everybody's happy. <laughs> yes, as long as everyone gets paid, everyone is happy. But usually, you know, it's like people are just happy to make music. Um, that is, I don't know, that's it. I think that's really what it comes down to. Absolutely. So speaking mm-hmm. of making music, can I ask you a couple questions about your songwriting process? Sure. Okay, so I kind of got an answer to the what inspired to lead the big band, which was, I guess, I don't mean to paraphrase you, but it was, mm. can I do this? And then, oh, shit, I can do this. Kind How big of. can I do this? Yeah. Kind of thing. It was, like, it was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to try it. And then I really liked it. And that was it. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. So I have a question. Now that you write for big band, do you do you write for a small group as well? Like, do you have sort of another channel of uh or a medium of of songwriting maybe for like two piece or four piece sort of i mean when i went to china uh it was just me and a pianist and we were playing a lot of my songs and i wrote some new stuff for that um it's not i think like in 2018 i kind of i sort of like stepped away from this project because i wasn't super happy with like how it was sounding and that was like entirely on me like i just like i had found this one sound and then like things i was obviously like just at a transitional point and things were like a you know the sound was evolving and i didn't really quite know what to do with it so i was like i need to try new things um which project is this the chill harmonic the chill harmonic yeah i kind of like didn't do much with it for almost a year i don't it just like things were really taking off and then it was like uh, something needs to change and I had to take some time to figure that out and then I started doing other stuff and writing for smaller groups and I have written for a lot of smaller groups in the past but at this point this is like the main focus and I do other projects and I sing in other bands and things like that I also play French horn so I get called for some weird French horn gigs from time to time <laughs> um, yeah so 
But now it's like I definitely still sometimes have ideas that I think don't work for the New York Philharmonic, and like it says, it sounds I often just I kind of ignore them because I'm like, okay, I can already tell this is not going to work with this kind of instrumentation, and the focus right now primarily is this just because we have so much coming up. It's like I really have to stay focused. Understood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have to be pragmatic about about everything, especially yeah. in, in, when you're trying to be for creative. Sure. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this was actually segues nicely into my next question, which was, do you ever feel trapped or limited by the big band format? Especially considering you went to jazz school, you're probably um, highly inundated with incredibly incredible jazz artists and have seen a lot of jazz, freeform jazz, open jazz. Um, you know, you go to the blue note and they play ahead and then the piano player looks around and just like points at a band member and says, go. <laughs> um, yeah kind of lose that uh, freedom when you when you're you know when you've got so many people to conduct because you are the conductor yeah uh, more or less um no i don't like i think i have always had a tendency to overwrite things i remember i had a voice teacher that was just like please write me one simple song and i just couldn't do it like and i'd be like this is my simple song he's like this isn't simple like he just wanted me to like write a song with like an aba format or whatever and i just could never it just doesn't exist i'm not really a songwriter i don't think you know, mm, it's like that's yeah. that's You're a, a composer, term that's like not a songwriter. Yeah, I guess. And I think that's just like that's such a specific term in my mind. Like people who can write songs, it's like what a gift. Like I just cannot do that. It's like mm-hmm. I just I have an idea and then it's done and I move on to the next idea and somehow I connect all of them. Um some and some people probably think that like that shouldn't be how it is or like those things don't work together, but that's just how it works for me. Um so no, I don't know, like I just like this is the only way for me to stretch out is like writing for all of these people and having this very large ensemble you know it's there's so often it's so often that i have to edit myself because i'll have a bunch of ideas and it's like i'll just like push them like to the end of the chart and save them for later it's like especially if i don't think they're good enough and it's like then i wind up having to take so many things out because it doesn't like apply to yeah. where the song is going absolutely yeah so, so i don't know like it would be cool to try other smaller things sorry to cut you off no no not at all um i because i was curious um because you know you hear the story of like musical proteges um, from a very young age, they can hear all of the different voicings and, and melodies and parts going on in their brain at once, and then the real craft of of like their legacies are being able to take the complicated sounds and, and music that's going on in their brains and then translate it into the physical world, write mm-hmm. it on a paper, record it in various ways, and for me. That's definitely been a struggle. I run into the exact same problem of having an inability to write simple songs. Something I've been trying to work on. A B A B, you know, A A B A. It's hard. It's hard, man. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> when do vocals usually present themselves? Present themselves in your arrangements? Do do you hear melody or do you hear like composition? Do you hear big brass sections and string quartets and and everything going on in the top or do you hear mm-hmm. or is that is i don't know take, take it's always it. it's different there's usually um like some sort of theme and wherever and like uh i have to just find where to put it like there are a lot of like repeating figures in my music um what is that ostinato figures oh my god i can't remember anything from music school um Me neither. yeah so there's <laughs> Yeah, so there's a lot of, yeah, just like a lot of stuff like that. And then usually um, it's rare for me to hear vocals first, I think. Like I wouldn't just hear like a, the top line, first of all. I would like mm-hmm. kind of hear the theme and the things that build around it. And then like melodies would come. Um, 
and then it's sort of like then I can like hear the whole arrangement happening it's like and then it's kind of daunting because it's like I have to get everything out at once and it's like you know it's like my phone is just filled with like a million voice memos of ideas yeah and it's like then I have to go back and like decipher what this weird vocal recording was from two in the morning like what did I want to do with this um but usually it's like I kind of test myself if there's a really good idea like I'll sort of ignore it and then if it comes back to me I'm like okay that's definitely like worth pursuing yeah Mm -hmm. how many ideas have you lost in over the years just a countless number <laughs> oh, trillions yeah who knows trillions <laughs> there are so many times where i'm like this is so amazing and i'll start a chart and then like i'll get two minutes into it and i'm just like this is so terrible like i never want to work on this ever so i have like so many like unfinished big band charts in my finale folders that i just will yeah. never look at again <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i hear that this is going to sound weird to say but there's this concept of i think it's kill your babies which is okay. like, I know it, it sounds terrible, but that's what, that's what people are, <laughs> every time I've heard it, that's how it's been said. Um, okay. And it's the idea that when you're writing a song or writing a composition, you might have a part that you really like and that's your baby. That's like your child. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't benefit the song, you gotta, you gotta get rid of it. Right. You totally. Access. And that happens so many times. Yeah. And then it's so like, often. okay, I can find a way to save it for later. And sometimes that does happen. Like yeah. I will be able to take something and put it somewhere else eventually. And that's great. But mm-hmm. a lot of the time, yeah, it's like, oh, this idea was so good, but it's not helping anything. So absolutely. You, See have, a, you have a violin line and you're like, oh man, that is really something. But it, you know, it, uh, maybe it deserves its own song. Maybe I'll, I'll put it over here. Maybe yeah. I'll forget about it for a few months and come back to it later. Totally. Mm-hmm. Man, that's crazy. Well, respect, you know, (laughs) respect. Thank you. So since you went to music school and you studied vocal jazz at the new school. Yep. What was the most useful thing you learned at music school? Such a good question. No, God, I feel like there were so many things that I wish I, you know, had been taught to us in school that weren't. And I, you know, I had a tough time with it just because like I started out as an instrumentalist and was playing very was playing French horn very seriously before I went to jazz school so you know it was like I felt very segregated while I was there like they really kept the vocalists from the instrumentalists in a lot of ways and we didn't have like the same graduation requirements which drove me nuts and I vocalized that a lot while I was there um so I just I felt like you know I was what did you say (laughs) did you sing I vocalized while I was there no it's just you know, it was like I didn't I wanted to be challenged as much as my fellow peers. I felt like I had to go out of my way for that. Whereas otherwise it was just like there it was like that was already part of their education, yeah. which was sort of frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it was just I don't know, like I'm always really in, you know, I take a lot of really big risks. And I think in music school, it was like, I, you know, I could see a lot of people. I think it's really easy to kind of hold yourself back and like lock yourself in a practice room and not you know, collaborate with other people. And it's like, even though I didn't feel ready when I first got there, like I would just start booking sessions with people right away, you know, so I could just at least flush things out even if we're just playing jazz standards. Like I just like forced myself to work with people. I forced myself to just start writing for different mediums. And like, especially, you know, I started doing the big band thing at the very end of my, um, whatever, at the end of my time there. And, you know, it's like I wasn't ready and I wasn't trained to like be arranging for big bands and it was like really nerve wracking and I was super self-conscious about it, but I just did it anyway. Yeah. It's like nothing's going to happen if you don't take those big risks. And then it's like some people are just like, you know, I think it's so easy to get so inside your head. And you're like, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready for this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to try it. I'm not ready. And it's like, and then they just don't, you don't do anything. Yeah. It's like, 
Um, and that could have been so easy for me to do. And yep. it's like, you know, there's so many times I was so uncomfortable and I just did it anyway. And I'm so glad that I did because I wouldn't be doing what I am now if I had not. That is mm. phenomenal advice. You're so right. The fear persists, you know. The only way to really get over that is to book a show. Who, just do it, yeah. Fuck it. Who cares if you're not ready? Just go up and play, you know? And then you surprise yourself because you actually probably were ready. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think my first show was pretty terrible, but <laughs> but I did it, you know? It's fine. No, it's like yep. my first rock band show was not great. My first big band show was really not great. It's just because, like, I was so scared of it. But now it's like, now they're ex. I mean, not they're excellent because, and I say this because it's like the people that are there that are playing that music. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like it, those people make it great. Uh, yeah. And I just enjoy being with them and having a good time. And like, it's excellent in the sense that there's like an excellent sense of community. Not that like, I'm so great. Yeah. It's just that like, you know, we've built this thing together. That's cool. So, <laughs> so what would be your overall perspective of, of having gone to music school? Just as far as furthering your musical career. Um, I'm glad that I went for okay. sure. Yeah, I, it was definitely worth it. There was just no other option for me in my mind. I. I can't imagine going to school for anything else. I also can't imagine going back to school for anything else. I've considered it so many times and I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it was good. I learned a lot of basic things that I really needed, like a lot of foundational tools that I can apply to what I do now. And I think I've learned even more being outside of school that I wouldn't have been able to, I think, process that information in the same way had I not had that education in the first place. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, so no regrets. Nice, no regrets. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the uh, University of Georgia, where I went, we had a we had a decent, we have a small, small jazz program, small mm -hmm. collective, um, pretty large classical division. Uh, okay. So, you know, it was, um, we had a segregation as well between the classical players and the jazz players. And then Athens being such a hotbed of young, you know, musicians, I should say. Yeah, totally. Um, then there is a further divide between the people that are out kind of on the town playing, learning on the fly, and the more scholastic students. And there's only a few events really in town that kind of bridge the gap between the the classically trained and the jazz trained um, university kids and the grungy DIY, you know, yeah. playing at home with a looper pedal, you know, drums in mom's basements kind of kid. Um but it's really cool when we're able to get when we're able to get that, yeah. Yeah, for and sure. It's really nice. Um, but Athens is um, Athens is an interesting city, small city. And when I think about the kind of the musical heritage and history of Athens, it is one that is uh, very DIY. A lot of punk bands. We've got Southern Rock that's come <laughs> out of here. B52s, REM. I mean, those yeah. are all garage bands, house bands. You go and see them in someone's living room, kind of band. And when I think about certain cities. Um, which cities are epicenters for which genres? You know, I think Atlanta, hip-hop, and heavy metal. Uh, Nashville, Americana and Country. Chicago, birthplace of gospel. LA, they do neo-soul. Seattle, they do grunge. I've never been to Seattle. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but when I think yeah. of New York, I think of Frank Sinatra. I think of Broadway. I think of Saturday Night Live. My very basic knowledge of the city is that it is a home, in a sense, of contemporary big band. And I want you to verify or or not <laughs> my assumption uh, of New York City in that sense. And I wanted to ask you in what ways has New York City been a blessing for what you're trying to create this big band fusion project 
and in what ways has it made it a little more challenging? Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. That was a long lead into that question. That was a long lead. I have like, where do I begin? <laughs> for, for sure, there's a lot of big bands here, and there's like still isn't a massive, obviously, jazz scene with Lincoln Center and, um, you know, everything that kind of exists in Manhattan, like Upper Manhattan. Um, yeah, I think, but there's also so much else that goes on, and I realize that, like every city has its own. I mean, has a, a niche in a sense that, like, I guess other people would associate this, you know, like certain sounds they would associate the city with. Um, but there's just, there's so much here. There's an indie scene, there's a punk scene, there's a pop scene, there's, you know, musical theater, yep. everything, just fucking everything. And some country and folk and things like that, and lots of progressive rock. And um, oh my God, you name it. I mean, it's just, it's like the most, it's like everyone is prom queen. It's like all the prom queens came to the same place and now it's like everyone's just so good and yeah. everyone everyone is so creative um and i think that's that's the most exciting like there are amazing musicians everywhere and like that's that's the really nice thing about getting to tour and play with new people all the time is like they're just everyone is just so good yeah um the nice thing about new york is that it's it's huge the scene is immensely oversaturated and it's also you know it's not just about being good it's also about being inventive and you know you kind of like your ideas propel you so yep. you survive on the scene you know you just have to be doing something interesting enough for people to want to pay attention and it's super rough you know it's like people will go and they'll tour and they're playing like big shows and it's like even the most like famous jazz musicians come back and they're playing like the tiniest venue late yeah. at night on a Tuesday to nobody. It's insane. And we take it for granted too. It's like, you know, we have everything at our fingertips all the time and we can always see these amazing musicians and we're all mm -hmm. just like so jaded by the fact that we can just like have these wonderful experiences um, because these people just live here. So yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't know if I associate New York with like big band, big band anymore, just because like, I don't really exist in that scene because it's my band is not traditional big band. Um, but yeah, when I think of New York, I definitely think of jazz and like, you know, of course, like Frank Sinatra and all that stuff for yeah. sure. Um, and then I guess, how has the city helped? I do think about like, you know, if I moved to LA, would I have the same kind of resources to be doing this project? Or if I moved to another city, you know, mm -hmm. would it be as successful? I don't know. Um, probably not. Like, I think I would definitely, you know, starting any project anywhere would be difficult. Um, but I think there's definitely, you know, people in New York are open to Absolutely. other people trying weird things. And I'm, what I'm doing is definitely a weird thing. Interesting. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, but that exists everywhere. It's like people are excited to see it and be a part of it. I think not, not, I'm not just like talking about my music, but they're excited to see new things and experience new things in general overall. Yeah. So, but of course, like there are lots of complications with the city, like rehearsal spaces are expensive. I was going to ask, where do you, where, where do you rehearse in New York city? <laughs> um, everywhere is expensive. Well, when I'm just doing rhythm section, I have a friend that teaches at NYU. Sometimes we rehearse there. <clears throat> I won't say his name. So he doesn't get in trouble. And, um, uh, otherwise, the band itself, like the whole band, will rehearse at Michiko Studios. Um, there are a couple other places that I've tried in the past, but I think, like, because it's so centrally located, it's like right in Midtown, then it's yeah. like, you know, everybody's commuting equidistance <laughs> from wherever they're coming yeah. from. <laughs> so, like, that's kind of nice. And they're very nice and they're very helpful, and the spaces are big enough. It's a little bit pricey, but um, everywhere is pricey. Yeah, what does a rehearsal space run in New York City? I'm curious. What do I pay there? I don't know. Am I paying like 60 or 70 bucks an hour? Maybe more? Oof. 
I know it might be more. I think if we rehearse for because usually we'll do like three hour rehearsals and it's like, I guess it's like two hundred bucks, maybe more, maybe oh two fifty. I don't remember. It used to be a little cheaper a few years ago. That and there are other places that are cheaper, but it's like they have like the rooms are fully isolated, so you're not hearing what people are doing down the hall, which is very nice. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a bit of a culture shock to me. Oh yeah, it's super expensive, unfortunately. But I mean, they can, you know, it's like they can charge that much because you need the space, and they have it. So have it. there well, it is. All the mm-hmm. all the way. So what do yeah. you think about the? Um, do you think that like kind of the micro culture of New York City's? Um, being so condensed in creativity, the, the like tiny little pockets of experimentalism that like pop out to really draw people in, in the city culture. Do you think that that's beneficial beneficial to your music like on a more broader scale? Because I know some really weird experimental bands that come out of New York City oh. that sell zero <laughs> tickets anywhere else. <laughs> um, I love them. I love them. But, you know. Yeah. No, I'm always just like so amazed because there is so much it's like there are just so many ideas um it definitely is inspiring like it can be overwhelming but i i really try to part like i try not to get super overwhelmed by stuff like that i try to just like really take it all in and be like okay this is what this person is doing and these are the ideas that these people are having and you know this is what they're doing with it and this is who is seeing it and it's like just very inspiring and motivating above all else um i don't know i try I try not to be. I try not to let my music be influenced by other people's music. I don't know if that was the question. That that I mean, was it, that it was is. kind of the question. Yeah. Kind of the question. Yeah. I mean, inevitably it is because it's like all of our ideas are coming from other ideas. You know, it's like I don't know. I I'm not totally convinced that like you know there are 100% new ideas all the time. It's like everything is coming from something else. Sure. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm always surprised. Like, when I find new things that like I didn't think I would necessarily enjoy or something, I'm just like, oh my god, this is amazing. It's more just like appreciating things for what they are versus like mm-hmm. what your own preference is. You know, it's yeah. like if anybody does anything honestly, like that always translates. It's like if they're really creating something that's like that's true to themselves, it's like that's always going to be appreciated by an 100%. audience. Yeah, yeah, and whatever it. That's probably the most important thing, is, is as long as the artist is creating something that's true to themselves, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You will always be successful if that's what you're doing. If you're trying to force something that's not really, you are not really authentic, as much as I hate to use that word, then like, it will never be successful, yeah. I think. Except, you know, you're like Taylor Swift. I, I love <laughs> the authenticity of the Chill Harmonic. I think that it's a really Thank new, you. I've never seen a project like it. Um, a lot of fusion breaks a lot of barriers, blends a lot of groups, um, the sounds of a, of a lot of groups that I would have heard in the past. Like, where, so. where would you genreify yourself? I don't know. I always get into trouble. <laughs> Every time. Some people, like, are always so specific, like, this is what it is, or this is what it is. And then there are times where I really think that it's going in a certain direction. People are like, it's not that. And then they get so bad that I say it, which is so funny to me. It's like the genre police are out, you know? Um, I don't know. Like sometimes there are parts of it that are like progressive rock. There are parts of it that are more jazzy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of pop and rock influence, obviously, to me. Um, I electronica influences, sort of. I don't know. I wish I didn't have to label it all the time because it's it's a bunch of different things. Yeah. To me, especially at this point, like I feel like every song. You know, because right now the catalog is like huge. It spans like four years. It's not huge, but it just like it spans like so many different writing periods. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, that it just doesn't. It 
doesn't feel like one specific thing. I think if you sit down and write a record in a studio, then it's like, yeah, like you could totally kind of like quantify, like say where it lands because mm -hmm. you know you're you're existing in a tonality in that period of time, like writing that music that is so specific to like where you are in that moment versus like writing music for a long, you know, over a long period yeah. of time. It's Addressing a catalog of, yeah, it, just like a yeah. history of you almost. Yeah, for sure. It's just like, totally. It's just, then it's a million different ideas, you know. Yeah. You know, New York City is the home of like big, big music business. <laughs> Here in Athens, we're all just like, ground up like community oriented you know <laughs> yeah. um oh, i was trying to see what you're saying yeah um yeah i think now especially over the last year i really feel like in the beginning i definitely felt very alone in what i was doing mm -hmm. and i it was hard for me to like you know everyone always talks about having this sense of community and like you know and i was like man this like that's bullshit like i don't feel like i have a community it's just me like writing this music and then getting these people together to perform yeah, it and absolutely yeah, it felt really weird and isolating. And now it's, now I don't. It's like, especially, like, I really stepped back and thought about where I wanted the project to go and what I wanted it to sound like. And I took the, like, I took time with it. And then I really felt like I kind of, I began working with people and I met other people that um, had the same interests. And although I will always kind of just feel like, like, it's just me, I do everything. It's my music, my arrangements. Um, it's, you know, it's like the project does not exist if I don't exist. Um, I definitely feel like I have a community now. Like there are people that, that care about it um, and people that, you know, want to make it work and want to be a part of it. And that's great. And I think that that's definitely translating more. And I'm meeting other people that are doing similar things. And yeah, it does. I definitely have a, a bigger sense of community now than I did in the past. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. Yeah, how do you, and this, I'm uh, moving into the final section of the interview now on leadership. Mm -hmm. How did you, how do you combat that kind of, uh, that feeling of being isolated, like being a step away from the musicians that you are leading in the group? Um, you know, like you show up to rehearsal yeah. and people are talking and, and communicating and laughing and and you're kind of in this like other space where you are you, you're in charge you, you just got to be in charge like you know yeah how, how do you handle that um well you know it's like there now it's like i'm really playing with like my you know good friends and things like that and that's really nice but for sure it's like you're in charge and i also think we're also like at a point in our lives like like at this age too where you know, people, you know, we're all taking things more seriously because like, it's our life. This is what we've dedicated all of our time to. And so people are, are respect like, I never have to deal with people like, you know, like misbehaving in rehearsals. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, it's like, that doesn't really happen. Like no one's really dicking around, but, um, I just mean yeah, in the so, more like sink or swim, yeah. like the responsibility, you know, of the responsibility. It all. Sure. No, I just, you know, I just try, I just try to communicate my ideas as clearly as possible. I try to be as organized and prepared. Like I don't want to take up too much of anyone's time. I just want to like get my ideas across, rehearse the band. It's like at this point, like I always, I really know what I want. So it, it's not difficult. And also, and now I think I'm also more open to the idea of like, you know, to people like contributing their thoughts. Like if something kind of like clearly isn't quite working in an arrangement or something like that, you know, it's like, okay, like, like let's work through this and try a couple different things. Or like even someone else will suggest something or the string players, like they talk about their bowings and um, we talk about articulation and things like that. And people like to opt like, okay, would you like it more like this? Or would you like it more like that? And 
that's really helpful as long as things are constructive um you know i don't feel too separated from everyone it's like i just i'm trying to be respectful of them and their time and like what they're doing you know in terms of performing my music like like thank you so much for taking the time to do this yeah, and um yeah and i just try you know just like be nice <laughs> and like also try to have a good time because music is fun um i don't know that's that's pretty much it and then you know then you hang out afterwards and it kind of like you know you, then everything comes together like yeah. that weird divide that existed for that those three hours is, is gone yeah. again which is that's good. good that's great um so okay so my second to last question i have just two questions left and then i'll, I'll let mm -hmm. you carry on with your day okay so i have been leading what i consider to be a pretty large band <laughs> of 10 mm -hmm. people <laughs> big yeah it's big i mean it's 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 got some people in it um and and i've been playing in in bands for a decade um and i've just recently started leading this group you know nine months ago uh mm -hmm. and the two experiences are wildly different what kind of advice would you give me on leadership on band leadership on band leadership um yeah. Uh, always just have a clear idea of what you want it like it's likely that it will change and that's totally fine but at least you know set out with like good intentions of where you want things to go mm -hmm. and I would say that especially with a group where things are orchestrated and arranged you can never give people too much information um, no one is ever gonna like look at a chart and be like wow like you wrote too many accidentals or like you you know like like, why would you tell me that this is the group that you want? Like, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, the more information, the better. Like, the you know, try to communicate as much as you possibly can. It's like someone should be able to, like, look at a chart and, like, have a pretty good idea of what you want. And I say this knowing that, like, I write the world's worst drum charts. But, like, the best... Oh, you write I drum can... charts? I, I mean, I write, yeah, for everybody. Um, and it's like, so the best that I can do is just be like, this is the sound that I'm going for. Like, here is a musical reference. Like... You know, if there's like specific rhythms that I really want, like I make that very clear and it's like, you know, but at least for drummers, I can just be like, this is the group that I want, halftime backbeat, whatever it is, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, at least they know how things are supposed to be. And then for everyone else, especially if you're like, you know, the really orchestrated, like the horn and string parts, it's like just as much information as possible. So I guess that's what I would say is like, yeah. just be super clear, super organized. And um, yeah, you can like never you can never say too much i guess like you can never give people too much information when it comes to your music <laughs> that's good advice i appreciate that Thank okay you. i hope that helps <laughs> no it does help you know the, the horn arrangements has been the most challenging for me it's i'm writing a funk it's a funk record okay um, so a lot of the intricacy you know is, is related to the live performance and I'm, I'm recording it as a live album Cool. I'm putting emphasis on um, kind of the live performances. Yeah. No, that was great advice. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was solid. You know, it definitely, okay. definitely helps me. Hopefully it helps someone else out there as well. Oh, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then the very final question I have for you is a recurring segment on the podcast, which is advice to my younger self. So if you were going to look back at a previous version of yourself and give some piece of advice, what might you say? And if you could keep it in under uh, 15 seconds so I could put it on my Instagram. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Advice on yourself. I have so much. Um, <laughs> what can I possibly like? 
you are super nerdy, but it's totally cool, and you should definitely <laughs> stick with bands. No, that's terrible. Um, no, that's good. That was good. I guess no, I would just say like, no, like it's not weird. What you're doing is not weird. Just keep going. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> Solid. That's good that advice. Can be, you can apply that to anything. There you ever. go. <laughs> nice, <laughs> wide, generic advice. Wide, generic. It's not. It's not weird. You're fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, this is awesome. Thank you so much for um, letting me interview you and, and being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you get some good stuff, and I'm excited to hear it when it comes out. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll be great. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, album, tour, anything coming up? Oh, yes. Okay, so I'm going to Australia, New Zealand for like six weeks. This is another long stretch, so I'm leaving in mid-April. And I'm doing a lot of like teaching and workshops while I'm out there too. I'm taking over. Yeah, so that'll be good. And I'll be playing. I can't, they haven't announced it yet, so I can't say it, but it'll, it'll be announced at the end of the month. There's another festival upstate in New York on June 20th. Okay. Um, 10 bucks if you can guess what it is. I'm just kidding. And then <laughs> another another week long tour list. in July. You can guess what it is. Yes, I'll Venmo you $10 if you can guess what it is. And then that's it. And then a bunch of other stuff in the fall. Cool. Mm. So what you, yeah. you're doing workshops while you're touring? So you're just like going into schools or, or like coffee shops? What's the environment? Yeah. So this one, so what I'm doing mostly while I'm there for like the first month is um, like the director of jazz studies at WAPA, which is Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. I always almost forget it. And he's taking like a little just like vacation sabbatical type thing so i'm gonna go fill in for him and like run their big bands and like cool. workshop some of their tunes yeah and like teach some master classes teach some arranging classes i'll play like a gig or two there and then i'll go to new zealand um for my new zealand debut and Ooh. play a gig and what? we'll see what's up with i'm super excited and then we'll see what's going on with coronavirus if i get to like go teach at their university but it'll be May at that point, so who knows? And then I'm doing um, a big festival in Melbourne. And guess which one it is? Um, no, I'm kidding. And yeah, and then I'll come home. So cool. that's it. Yeah. Wow. Solid. Well, have fun in New Zealand. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> fun. Hopefully, this doesn't all get canceled in like yeah. the next week. I'm like Dude, very nervous. Right. Yeah. No, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. All right. Well, um, this was great. I'll let you get on with your day thank you for your time thank you for the advice the personal advice i really appreciate it thanks yeah and good luck with all your recording i can't wait to hear it when it comes out thank you all that stuff. It's november be nice. 11th it'll come out be careful. oh fabulous yeah. okay well good luck with all the arranging and everything thank you it's mostly done at this point I, it's just okay. a matter of like getting everybody together and rehearsing the damn stuff. doing it yes yeah. i totally do okay it. well good luck thank you i appreciate it good luck to you with everything coming up and have a great day Thanks, you too. Enjoy Bye. that weather. Bye. Bye, you too. Well, that wraps up our interview. Sarah's band, the New York City Chill Harmonic. Definitely go check them out. She's got some really cool music coming out there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll see you next time.